Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. So, Lord, we thank you. <laughs> we thank you because we are completing you. Thank you, Lord, because you are our righteousness. We rest in your finished works and your grace alone, not by our power, not by our might. We celebrate your service on the cross. Before we thought of loving you, you first loved us. Before we even thought of serving you, you served us first on the cross of Calvary. (laughs) When you looked at those people who put you there, you looked at them and you revealed your heart. You said, Father, Forgive them because they don't know what they do. Because there was a time where you and I did things that we didn't realize were wrong. We did not know what we were doing. But Christ on the cross looking into everyone's faces says... Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And he forgave us when he spilled his blood and his body was broken for us. Oh, thank you, God, a thousand times. We we are grateful for this sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, because now we have access to you. Thank you, Lord, because all we ever need is found in you. Our redemption, our blessings, our satisfaction, our eternity, our rest. Oh, glory to God. Our righteousness is in you. Our holiness is in you. Our inheritance is in you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We love you, Lord. (laughs) Glory to your name. Lord, we are going into your word this evening. Your precious, precious, beautiful word. May it ever guide our hearts to your truth. May it ever keep us stayed on you, grounded in a world of falsehood and opinions. Lord, may we ever see the light of your way through the word of Christ. May we stand firmly. May we grow and be established in it. May we have our false notions corrected till we are built up, complete in Christ, lacking nothing, perfected forever. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We honor your word. We are expectant. We are excited for all that you will do for us this evening. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. If you are there right now in your house, just be reckless right now and just shout glory. (laughs) Glory to God. Glory to God. Come on like a crazy person who knows that God loves him. Who knows God loves her. Come on, shout and say glory. (laughs) Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Such an awesome night is going to be. I promise you. Glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. All right. Welcome this evening, this night to Vivify Illuminate, the Bible study platform of this ministry where we give focus and honor to the word of God, the teaching of God's word. And remember, the Bible is our authority. The Bible is our standard. The Bible rightly interpreted is our authority nothing else nothing else informs our convictions 
Nothing else informs our doctrinal persuasions except the word of God rightly interpreted. Hallelujah. And so, um, for those of you who might not know, we are in a series studying the book of Colossians. And it's such a beautiful book because it's so well packaged, right? And it's so, it's so, you know, you know that kind of, um, you know when you're just going on a very long journey and you're trying to find a very good book that will keep you occupied, you can't carry much. Colossians is that book you just put in your pocket, you know you have all you need, it's succinct, it's straight to the point, and it's going to carry you along the journey. So that's the book we're studying. It has just four chapters, and we already started in chapter one as at last week, Thursday. Now we're diving into chapter two. I really wish I had more time to spend in chapter one. There's so much to discuss, but I hope two hours was enough. <laughs> Today I'm going to try to make this teaching as short as I can, but um, there's going to be a lot of exposition. There's going to be a lot of explanation. So I want you to buckle up. I want you to get ready. I want you to realize that, you know, I, I know I say this, um, I've said this only just a few times, but I want to say it again, that when it comes to the studying and, and the attention we give the Word of God, I want us to realize that, look, the Word of God is worth our honor. It is worth our attention. It's deserving of our affection it should command our attention it should command our desires you know the the early church when they started out with this you know mission a lot of people will say oh it's because it was still early then they were still fresh into it you know it, it just um was a practice of theirs in those days bible says they continued daily in the teachings of the apostles the teachings the doctrines of the apostles what that meant is that these guys, once they were saved, they stayed with the other believers and they continued in fellowship. Meaning they had church service every single day. Every single day. They didn't have to wait for the Sabbath to have fellowship, to have church. No. They, they, the Bible says they continued daily just listening to teachings. They were, do you understand? And, and sometimes when I see our generation today, I, I sometimes weep. I am just so sad because our attention span has so greatly... Like, we only just chase after the things that are exciting, you know. It, 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 it bothers me sometimes, the things that go viral in this country. Like, the things you don't even expect, you know. Is it, um, do you have a hoil? That one went viral. Like, you don't know about it. It went viral. Any <laughs> little thing can go viral. But by the time that's, that period is done, we are done with it. See, where are those things now? They're just in the past. But you see, one thing that will never stay in the past is the Word of God. We need to, we need to give it the attention that it deserves. Praise the name of Jesus. We need to give it the attention that it deserves. Um, regarding uh, something else I wanted to talk about, but you see the lifestyle of Paul. You know, when he got saved immediately, um, in, in Acts chapter 9, the Bible tells us that he continued with the disciples in that place. He was giving attention to the, to the Word of God. He was growing to the point where he started off, you know, talk, telling people Jesus is the Son of God. And right after his evangelism, he started going about telling people that Jesus is the Son of God. But he stayed with these people continuously to a point where he could prove that Jesus is the Son of God. Praise the name of Jesus. So, um, that is the attitude we need to have. That look, we need to give our time, our affection to the things of God. I, I, I gave, I don't know who, okay, I remember it was during Immersed Discipleship class. Okay, that's by the way. 
But um, I, I tried to explain something. When you look at um, the feeling of the 5,000, what you see in that story is a group of people, thousands of people, hungry people who listened to Jesus for three days straight. For three days straight, they listened to Jesus to the point that they were like, ah, disciples said, Jesus, these people are hungry. Do you know what it means? Like this, imagine you go for, uh, example, right? You go for a convention camp and your church is holding it for maybe three days. Imagine you go there for three days. You, you hardly, you don't go on breaks. You are listening. You are not eating. Like you are in a separated place. No food. You are just listening to the word of God continue. Think about it. That's crazy. To the point that you just say, ah, look, these people, they might have brought their snacks, but like the snacks are done. They don't have any food. They are hungry. Let's get them something to eat. It showed that these people gave attention to the word. It was not a musical concert. It was Jesus teaching these people. So what I'm trying to say is, I don't mean to take too much time on this, is give attention to the word of God. We've become so lazy. Not us. It can't be you. Not here. <laughs> not you. But a lot of youth out there have become so complacent, so lazy when it comes to the things of God. They're not willing to go the extra mile. So what we're trying to do with the studying of these verses and, and chapters of Scripture in Colossians is to give attention to the Word of God, to dive deeper, to, to sing deeper, to make sure that we um, honor the Word of God, uphold its integrity, and interpret it rightly. Praise the name of Jesus. All right, let me not bore you with all this introduction. Let's get right to the Word of God. Open your Bibles. I'm sure you have your Bibles. Please do open them to the book of Colossians. Open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Uh, we're reading from chapter 2. Praise the name of Jesus. So, just a short backstory again. Remember, this book was a writing of Paul the Apostle around... Uh, between 60 to 62 AD, that's when it was written, um, his first imprisonment in Rome. Um, he wrote this letter because uh, a son or a partner in ministry by name of Epaphras had spent about two years with him in, in Ephesus, which was just a few, about 120 miles close to Colossae, all right? It was a neighboring town, just like you'd have um, Lagos and Maybe Ogun State, for example, right? Or Lagos and Oshun State or Oyo State. Very close to each other. So uh, they were in Ephesus together doing ministry. But Paul was arrested. So he let Epaphras do the work, replicate the work somewhere else. And so he came to his hometown, Colossae. He came there, established um, a church and a body of people there. He was sort of an apostle. Right, He set the place up, grew these people with exactly all that he had received from Paul. He grew them on that knowledge and that information that he had from Paul. See, um, historians have said that he hasn't, spent, he hasn't spent too much time with Epaphras, just about two to three years max with Epaphras. But in that span of time, he was able to train Epaphras to replicate the work somewhere else. And Epaphras started that work. Like he, Paul was arrested, he couldn't go to Colossae, but he said, Epaphras, I trust you would do this work. Epaphras went and set it up. And Epaphras, after setting it up, he realized that some people um, in that place, it's a region um, colonized by the Romans, but at the same time, 
um, there are a lot of Jewish people there. So um, after a certain period of time, these um, Jewish people started coming in. There's some leaders coming into the church who were now trying to... Uh, uh, how can this Epaphras guy be saying it's only by grace alone, through faith alone, that you are saved in Christ alone? Uh-uh, no, there has to be something else. It's too simple. Right from where we were born, there were practices, there were rituals we were supposed to do to please God. How can this guy just be removing everything? Uh-uh, who is this guy? So little by little, a lot of people were coming into the church um, saying a couple of things. In fact, you realize when you look closely that they were trying to attack the deity of Jesus. So Paul heard the news when Epaphras went. Some say he, um, Epaphras was also arrested and was taken to Rome. Um, others say he just went and visited Rome. Um, whatever the case is, he shall got to Rome, right? And he gave Paul the feedback. He spoke to him and said, Oh, Paul, this is how they're doing. And this is one of the nice letters, okay? Some of the other letters you read, especially when you read the book of Galatians or 1 Corinthians, you will know that Paul was angry. <laughs> you will know that Paul was angry. I mean, in Galatians 1, he starts saying, If any man teach another gospel, let him be accursed. Chapter 2, he says, Who has bewitched you? That, that, oh, oh, that you, your heart has become foolish to believe in, in, in trying to... Uh, match and merge law and grace together. Paul was was upset. In First Corinthians, you see him lash out severally on different practices that the Corinthian church are doing, as as a father would to his child to discipline them. Right. So, but this the tone of Colossians is actually different. What we hear is is a lot of praise, a lot of commendation from Paul. In chapter one, he talks about how he's heard about their faith, their love, and their hope in, in the gospel. How it's growing. In fact, he, he he's so much impressed by these guys that he emphasizes it in chapter 2 again, which we'll see. But what you realize is that in this chapter, you get to see the real reason why Paul wrote this letter in the first place. Um, he had gotten some feedback from Epaphras, and Paul wanted to address those issues in this letter. In fact, it was at the same time he wrote uh, the letter to Ephesus and to uh, Philemon through Titicus. So it was this same period. He That's why Colossians and Ephesians kind of um, are similar in writing, right? So they were written around the same time and distributed, all right? So um, let's get right to it. Let's get right to it. I think that's enough background. Um, verse 1, chapter 2 from verse 1, all right? Now, are we there? Look at this. It says, I want you... Uh, okay, I'm reading from the NIV. Let me read from the King James Version just to make it generic so that everyone can follow along, Okay. Um, ah, King James just complicates things, but let's, let's, let's make do with it, right? Um, no, you know what? Okay, let's use King James. For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you. Now, the word conflict is not that Paul is conflicted or he's trying, he's in a very bad place in his mind. Is No, he's trying to say, um, I want you to know that I have labored for you, I've contended for you. Right, and for you, and for them that's in Laodicea, and if you look at it geographically, at the time, um, Laodicea was also a neighboring uh, place to Colossae, right? A very neighboring. It was a city very close by. So he's saying for you guys here in Colossae and Laodicea, I've labored over you um, for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So this just proves that Paul had not met these people yet. All he's, he's heard about them is what Epaphras had shared with him. Right, and you, you can just feel his heart. You can just feel his passion. 
how much he longs to, to, to meet these people, to talk to these people, to see them and fellowship with them, right? So he says, look, I have, I have contended for you. I've, I've had great conflict, labored over um, you people in Laodicea and many who have not seen my flesh. That their hearts might be what? Might be what? Comforted. And that they'll be knit together in love. So he wants that, you know, at the end of all his striving and everything, for them it would be a, a, a place of comfort. He's trying to say, like, look, we've labored over you. For what reason? So that you are comforted, so that you grow even more in love with one another. You are knit together, I like that word, woven together along the threads of love. That's so poetic. Being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the... the see, in this verse, this verse has to have one of the most ofs in the Bible, O-F. That word of is here in the King James a lot. So it says that, um, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. <laughs> Fantastic. What he's simply just saying is, look, I want you to have full assurance. When he says riches of full assurance, in fact, that I love that that illustration. He's saying, I don't want you to just know. I don't want you to just understand um, the truth of Jesus. I mean, whenever you see the mystery of God, the mystery of God is just talking about God's plan of salvation, which was revealed in Christ Jesus. Do you understand? All that God had prepared from the beginning, now seen in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, look, I... I want you to have all riches of full assurance. So, not just to have understanding, not even just to have knowledge, but to to have to be wealthy in your conviction. Ah! He said to have unto all riches of the full assurance. The word assurance that means conviction without a shadow of doubt. So, at the end of the day, he's willing that look in everything you are knowing and understanding. Much more, I want you to be convinced of it. Do you understand? Riches of the full assurance of understanding. Riches of the full assurance of understanding. And that's my heart for everyone here too. Not that you come to know these things. Not even that you understand it. But that you are fully convinced. To, you know, that kind of conviction that stands the test of time. The test of pressure. The test of opposition. The test of falsehood. That kind of assurance. And I pray that for every one of us in Jesus' name. In verse 3, he says, In whom, talking about Jesus, who he just mentioned in the previous verse, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ, there are bountiful treasures of this wisdom and the knowledge of God. It's in him we find that fullness. Praise the name of Jesus. Um, I think that's clear enough. Verse 4 says, And this I say, so here in verse 4, Paul is revealing the purpose of his letter. And this is it. Lest any man should beguile you with, enth- with enticing words. So he's saying this, that look, the, this is actually why I'm writing to you guys. I know I've, 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 I've healed you people, I've whined you, I've given you toile. I've said, you guys, you are doing well, oh, you are doing well. <laughs> freaky, freaky. And now he's trying to tell them now in verse 4 that, okay, look, this is the real reason why I'm writing this. He says, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. What does, that, what does that mean, guys? He's trying to say that, look, at the end of the day, I'm writing this to you so that no one comes with sweet words, with seductive teachings, 
to drive you away. You know, at the time, you'll come to realize this when we study, but um, it, was no, it was no surprise, it was no news that these guys were suffering from a lot of, um, they're struggling with a lot of Christological heresy. When I say Christological heresy, that just means there were a lot of false teachings about the person, about the deity, about the character of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? A lot of people challenged Christ. Some even said Christ um, was just a messenger. Some people had different philosophies about Jesus. Um, some said he was just a prophet. Some said he was just a great teacher who did mighty works by the hand of God. Some even said that he died truly. We saw him die. But when he resurrected, he resurrected in spirit, not in flesh. Right? There are a lot of subdivisions, right, um, of different beliefs about Jesus. So these people were struggling with it. So what he wanted to do, which he even started in chapter 1, where we talked about Jesus, the source of all creation, and Jesus being the source of the new creation. And, you know, he was trying to just ex- introduce this Jesus Christ, explain Jesus Christ to people, this Messiah, the anointed one. He wanted them to see him for who he was. So he's saying, look, I'm writing this so that no one deceives you. I want to make sure that you have the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. So this is why Paul is writing so that they are not deceived. All right. Verse five. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit. You know, a lot of us use that term very loosely. Ah, I'm with you in spirit. Don't worry, I'm with you people in spirit. I think if we understood what Paul meant here, we will not use that term so loosely. Some of you say, ah, I'm going for this program, you're not coming. Ah, no, I can't come, I can't come to church, but I'm with two people in spirit. And then you go back home, you're watching Netflix. <laughs> you're not with them in spirit. Um, the, the idea here is that, look, I am present with you. Like, even though physically I'm in a prison cell, look, my mind is right there with you. I, and I think that is so beautiful to, to feel the heart of Paul, where he's so jealous, where he's so, the good kind of jealousy, right? The kind of protective jealousy that some of your parents have over you all right that kind that kind of 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 that kind of um protection that i want you i don't want anyone to you know know that kind of thing now some of you ladies i know at this point um some people have been trying to make advances um trying to come to your family trying to introduce them to your parents and i don't know if you've, you've been in that situation and, you know, the, the guy just comes to the house. Ah, well done, sir. Good afternoon, sir. Well done, sir. Good afternoon, ma. And the father just looking. Ah, uh, my dear, how are you? Uh, you are, you are Johnson, Abby. Okay. Uh, welcome, welcome. Uh, have your seats. Uh, so, uh, let's just be honest. Let's get right to it. You, you want my daughter, Abby? Okay. Let me give you some ground rules. Number one. <laughs> and that, 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 that. You can just feel. You know, it might not be exactly that way. Or maybe after the guy goes, just say, my daughter, don't ever, don't ever, don't let me see you with that boy again. Ah, daddy, why? Daddy, why? Like, he's, what has he done now? What, what is the problem now? Don't let me see you with that boy again. As long as you are under my roof, I don't want you going outside. I don't want you, daddy, no, please. I love him. Leave me alone. Love. You don't know what love is. Look at you, small girl. Come on, if you, if I see you with him, I'm telling you now, I'm warning you. I will tell your mother, Daddy, now where's all this rubbish? What have I done? That's the kind of jealousy where, you know, there's just that overprotection from any external influence. Do you understand? And that is what Paul has for this. He's with them in spirit. 
and he's rejoicing, beholding their order and steadfastness of their faith in Christ. So, look, he's saying, he's still telling them, look, I'm impressed so far, right? I'm impressed with your conduct. I like the fact that you guys are behaving yourselves. But look, at the end of the day, there's some people who are going to destroy what we have built here. And I will not let them do that. You see it in all of his epistles. Paul writes like this all the time. With the in first Corinthians, he said, "Let anyone who builds on this foundation I've laid take heed how he builds upon it. Like, be careful, though. I'm watching you. Be careful. If you want to build on what I've built, if you are building, make sure you are using church mind to build. If you build rubbish, I will come after you. That's the idea of of protectiveness that Paul has to the church. So he's expressing that that his his heart is with them in spirit. Verse six says, "As you have therefore received Christ Jesus." the Lord, so walk ye in him. Now he's saying, look, you have received Jesus in the message of the gospel. You received him as your savior and he has washed you clean. He has forgiven you, right? But he's saying now, look, don't just receive him, walk in him. And at the end of that verse, you see a column and he's trying to explain how you walk in Christ, okay? He, he, he's trying to teach them. It's not just by receiving Jesus, you should walk in him. And how is that done? Verse seven says this, rooted and built up in him the the greek word for rooted is rizu all right and it means to it, it's it's kind of a um very generous word it, it it means just it could mean immersed it could mean uh literally rooted fixed firmly um having depth basically all right so not just a shallow following be, being rooted and built up. See that analogy? Rooted, that means going deep down and built up. So you're not just going deep, you're also scaling heights in Christ. <laughs> Beautiful. I love this language. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. The word established is bebio. <laughs> not bebio. It's bebio. Right? It's the Greek word bebio and it makes, it means to make firm. To make something firm in, in faith. So he's saying, I want you to be established firm. It's similar to when he said full assurance, all right? Riches of full assurance, all right? So he said, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Remember when I said the faith, here it's also definitive. It's not just, it's not a faith, it is the faith. means the teachings of Christ. So a way to walk in Christ is that you are rooted in him and established in the teachings of Christ. It said, that's why he said, as you have been taught. Do you understand? So that explains it that it, when he says establishing the faith, it's not just, um, just believing that, oh, there was a Jesus who was the son of God. It's, it's abiding by the teachings of Christ. All right. And in a sense, what you're going to realize is that he's going to reteach those things in this book of Colossians. All right. You're going to see a lot of teachings here in this short book of Colossians. So he's saying be established in these things that, that have been taught and will still be taught. All right, abounding therein with thanksgiving. That means you are going to 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 abound. You are going to be fruitful in it with thanksgiving. You are going to be glad that you did so. All right. So he's now saying this: Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy. So before we go there, let me just take a break that you understand what I've said so far. So he's saying that look, um, I just want you guys to follow Christ. That's it. Be a follower of Jesus. 
not just by word, not just by your status, not by filling a form that says what is your religion and you, you take Christianity. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you are going to be called by Christ, identify by him. Don't be ashamed to be called by Christ. If you uh, To be called a Christian, to be called someone who follows Christ. If you are going to stand for Christ in this generation, you're going to expect a lot of opposition. You're going to expect a lot of heat, a lot of people that will challenge your faith. And so he's saying that's why you need to be rooted and then built up. So you go down, you sink deeper to know this Jesus, where Jesus is your all, he's everything to you. And then you are built up in him again. At the end of the day, you are in him. Everything you do is in him. Everything you, you are all about is in him. Do you understand? You see a lot of in him, in him, in him here. And it's very important that you understand that. That's your location. That is your spiritual location in Christ. You are here physically on the earth, but you are somewhere else. You are in Christ. That's why the Bible says Christ is seated far above all principalities and powers. And we are seated with him. That's because we are in him. Praise the name of Jesus. And not just are we in him. The Chapter 1 tells us that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. So as we abide in him, he abides in us. Glory to God. That's just so beautiful. All right. I think I can proceed to verse 8. I'm really taking my time to break this down so that whenever you read this, and please, I beg you, um, I hope you guys went back to read Colossians chapter 1 again during the week because um, I want you to do that. I want you to, with this new knowledge, to read it again. Let this word sink deeply with you. All right. Verse 8, it says, beware. Oh, yeah, you guys, sit up, sit up, sit up is what he's saying. Beware. Dum, dum, dum. Lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. So he's saying people will come with all their ideologies, philosophies. We're going to see a few of them in this same chapter. Um, and I already mentioned some to you, the ideas that people had about who Jesus was. There were a lot of Jewish philosophies about the person of Jesus. Um, and he's saying, don't let any man spoil you. Don't let any man but spoil you uh, through vain, uh, through philosophy, through vain deceit. Um, and after the traditions of men, that's very important. There's some traditions that human beings literally set up that God did not ordain. Right? And it says, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So, I'm saying there's some principles that the world has set forth. There are some principles that human beings have brought about. But, but don't let anyone deceive you with these things. They might sound good. They might sound profound. But if it's not after Christ, please beware. Run away. And then he now says it attacks this issue in verse 9. For in him, ah, glory to God. For in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, like I said, there have been philosophies, vain deceit, traditions of men. And so, by, by this you can infer that he's trying to attack um, and address the ideologies that people have that Jesus was not God, that Jesus was not God in flesh, he was not deity. So here in verse 9, he's trying to establish that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Like, in him there is... <laughs> 
Like all of, of the, <laughs> if you want to know where God is, look at Jesus. Like on the earth, Jesus had the fullness of, of deity of the Godhead in him. Praise the name of Jesus. That's just powerful. That's just power, powerful. In verse one, um, chapter one, pardon me, chapter one, verse 19. Remember we read that it said, for it pleased the father that in him should all fullness dwell. So that's him re-emphasizing this in chapter 2. Alright, so I think this teaching will not be complete if I don't then try to give further um, further evidence for this claim that Jesus is God in flesh. That in him, um, that he is the source of everything. Like, if you want to know anything about God, you look to him, that he's the source of all that we need. He's the source of everything in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Um, let me just give that because one one time one way that uh if I one area that a lot of people will come at you um to attack your reasoning is the idea that you call a man God. Right? If I was just looking through um something and, and I, I saw that there was a a was it a Korean film or series titled A Man called god and i was like ah if you're not, if you're not jesus i will i will, I will block you you know and apparently the person in the series was not jesus he was just some regular guy but wh- whatever the case is um a lot of people will challenge you on this regard in fact a lot of believers don't even know or can't even like sometimes some believers just have this preconceived idea that oh jesus should be the son of god but when you now tell them, do you know that Jesus is God? They're like, uh, 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 uh yeah, 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 it's true. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> but how do you know Jesus is God? How can you prove it? You know, and, and this is foundational to our faith. Jesus has to be God for many reasons, right? At the top of my head, I can just tell you that for the sake of mankind, for the sake of the salvation of men, um, it's not just a mere man that would die for the sins of the world. It has to be someone that comes from God himself. You know, Jesus says that he comes from the Father, proceeds from the Father. Um, that doesn't mean he, he came after the Father. He just means um, he is eternally united in, with the Father and the will of the Father. And that's why he came as a man. So, um, at the end of the day, Jesus must be God for him to be able to be that perfect sacrifice. Praise the name of Jesus. So this is very foundational to our faith. And I want to give you some proof that will just help you um, understand this even better. Right? Alright. So uh, let's see what the Bible says. I'm going to open a couple of scriptures. And I need you to be very, very fast. I need you to open as fast as you can. Alright. Okay. Let's let's do this, guys. Um, John... 10 verse 30 jesus says the father and i are one john 10 verse 30 the father and i are one philippians 2 5 to 6 philippians 2 5 to 6 he says you must have the same attitude that christ jesus had though he was god he did not think of equality with god as something to cling to all right Though he was God. Now, now, when you see this scripture, when you see God, there are some places where, by assumption, God is talking about the Father. 
from who all things exist, right? The Father. Um, but, but here it says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God, of being deity as something to cling to. That That is just saying that, see, though he was God, like clearly tells us that he was God. And in fact, this defense of Jesus' deity, to be honest, we, we, we can only really, really, truly um, bring this proof from the Bible and then try to appeal to, to logic. You can't use an extra biblical material. You can't really use um, history books to prove or a science book to prove this. You need scriptures to prove it. So at the end of the day, the best way to convince anyone of, of Jesus' deity is to first convince the people of the authority of the scriptures. Once you can get people to believe that the Bible is accurate, then you can further go to prove to them that Jesus is God. But at the end of the day, um, if Jesus truly was raised from the dead, that proves that he's not just a mere man. Do you understand? And there's some logical proofs for the resurrection of Jesus, but I'm not getting to that tonight, okay? I'm not getting to that. I'm not getting that, um, to that this night. Okay. Praise God. Alright, so that's one scripture. John 17, 21. Um, John 17, 21. It says that they all may be one as, as you, as thou father art in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. So he's saying, I want these people to be one, just as I, you and I are, are, are one. So Jesus is saying, the Father and Him are one, right? Um, the next one, John one eighteen says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who Him's, who Himself, ha, ah, English, who is Himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known, we read this last week as well, that the son um, is in closest relationship with the father. It talks about an intimacy, all right? So, that's John 1, 18. Colossians 2, 9 to 10, says, For in him, which you just read, um, um, fullness of deity dwells bodily. So, that's it. And some people say that Jesus um, never claimed to be God. Right, some people say Jesus never claimed to be God. That a lot of us are just trying to propound that by ourselves. But is that true? Is that true? Did Jesus never claim to be God? Well, let's find out. That's it. So there's a place in um, John chapter ten. Right, something happened. Um, let me sh- let me see. From verse John chapter ten. From verse. Um, from verse, let me start from verse 29. So Jesus had talked about how he gives his sheep eternal life. No one can snatch them from his hands. And then he says in verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hands. He says that twice. That's so powerful. So powerful. Then in verse 30 of John ten thirty, he says, I and the father are one. And the Bible says in verse 21, at this, the Jews again picked up stones to stone him. It said the Jews again. <laughs> this was not the first time. The Jews again picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus responded, ah, guys, calm down. I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? He said, no, 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 we're not stoning you for, for any good work. How will we stone you for good work? Keep, keep short. But for blasphemy. Because you, who are a man, 
declare yourself to be God. <laughs> and Jesus gave a very funny response. But at the end of the day, uh, man, this is, this is just powerful. I'm just <laughs> looking ahead at this scripture. But at the end of the day, they were not going, like, you don't just pick up stones to stone somebody for any, ju- just an ordinary statement. Him saying he and the father are one claims that he assumes deity with the father. So this was a claim, a clear claim by Jesus that he was God. John 5:18 it says this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So the idea is when you call Yahweh father and you claim him to be father, see, look at that. It says that he is making himself equal with God. So saying that he is the son of God coming from the father is not just that, oh, I am a messenger of God or I am a prophet. It's, it's claiming equality in deity. Do you see that? Very, very powerful. That's John 5, 18. I'll just read uh, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was the God, and the word was God. John chapter 1, verse 1. Very popular scripture, right? Um, then in John chapter 8, this is John chapter 8. This was, the, this was one of the first times they, they picked up stones. And that time they wanted to stone him, right? In John chapter 8, from around verse 50, uh, let me see from verse 54. Or let me start from 56, sorry. Um, it says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and I was glad. Now, this is such a powerful statement. Verse 56 of John chapter 8. It says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day and he saw it and I was glad. And all of them were like, ah, uh-uh. The Jews are like, You're not yet, <laughs> you're not even 50 years old. And you have seen Abraham? What are you saying? And she just said, truly, truly, I tell you, Jesus declared, before Abraham was, hey, before Abraham was born, I am. He didn't say I was. Hey, this was huge. Like, but first of all, when he meant Abraham rejoiced that he will see my day and he saw it and was glad, he was talking about the prophecy that through his seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. This was the day. Like, Abraham saw it before it even happened. All these people who were called heroes of faith, who were given a good report because of their faith, had seen Jesus, even though they had not seen him. Do you understand? So this is what he's saying. Abraham has seen the day, and he was glad in it. He rejoiced. That, that day of salvation, he said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the scripture. This is one of the scriptures that emphasizes it. It's the day of salvation. We rejoice in the day of salvation. But that's just, just by the way. All right? But look at Jesus' reply. Truly, truly, I tell you, Jesus declared, before Abraham was, I am. That phrase, I am, is, is, is something that only the Lord has been ascribed to say. If, I, if you're going to say, God, describe yourself. And, and the best way God could describe to these people of shallow minds and hardened hearts was, I am that I am. He couldn't, he couldn't reveal himself. They wouldn't understand. But thankfully, oh, glory to God that in Christ Jesus, it's not just an I am that I am. We see God for who he is in the face of Christ. Hallelujah. He's been revealed for us. Hallelujah. God is no longer a mystery to us. 
He, he never wanted to be a mystery. He wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to be known. He wants his will, his heart to be seen clearly in the person, in the works, in the life of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. And so after Jesus said the statement, I am, at this, they, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple area. His disciples hid him to take him away. So they won't just pick stones if they, if they didn't understand the gravity of his statement. It was considered blasphemy that Jesus would, would equate himself with God. Even though he used style like to say these things, it was not direct, I am God. In fact, it was, it was only with um, the Samaritan woman that he, that one of the most direct um, introductions he ever gave. When she asked him a question, are you the one to come? Like the promised Messiah. And he just said, I am. I'm the one. <laughs> so that was one of the few times. But other times he, he spoke in parables. He went indirectly. But he made those claims that he is God. First uh, Corinthians chapter 8 verse 6. Yet for, for, there is, for, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and from whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things are and through whom we exist, right? It says, one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we are and whom all things exist. So, First um, Corinthians 8, 6, literally says, like, there is, for us there is one God, the Father, whom, whom all things, <laughs> whom are all things and from whom we exist. He says and ascribes the same thing to Jesus, the Lord. Um, and then Romans, uh, pardon me, Revelation 2, verse 8, Revelation 2, verse 8, that was First Corinthians 8, 6 we just read. Now, Revelation 2, verse 8, I'm sorry I'm being fast, but I want to just give you um, overwhelming evidence that Jesus did claim to be God, and he indeed is God. Revelation 2, 8, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write um, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So, to the angel of the church of Smyrna, um, the word angel, angel angelus, uh, or angelus, actually means a messenger or someone who's been set as the shepherd of the church, the messengers of the church. So maybe a pastor set up there in the church in Smyrna. Um, it says, write to him the words of the first and the last. The first and the last, Alpha and Omega, has been ascribed to God, the God who was even before the beginning and will outlast the end. Do you understand? That's the God we serve. The Alpha and the Omega. It's not just the beginning and the end. He's before the beginning and he outlasts the end. Do you understand? And this same thing was ascribed to Jesus. The one. How do we know he's Jesus? It says the one who died and came to life. So he's talking about Jesus there. Revelation 1, 17 to 18. Revelation chapter 1 from verse 17 to 18. Ah, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> Okay, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. So this is John. I mean, in his revelation, he like, I, 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 I saw him. I fell at his feet as though I was dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. Oh, glory. <laughs> Woo! He is not just the first and the last. He is the one who lives. The living Christ. Hallelujah. He said, I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Oh, glory to God. Ah, 
That is powerful. That's, a, that's an open declaration that Jesus claimed to be God. You know, there, there are some debates, you know, with even the Jehovah's Witness, even though they use a different Bible translation, New World Translation, and, and the Catholics too also debate this. They, they don't, they, they have these scriptures in their books. They do. They actually have these scriptures in their books. But they so ardently deny the deity of Jesus Christ for whatever reason. They have their own interpretations of the scriptures. But this is clearly telling us that Jesus claims to be the one who never dies, the first and the last. Hallelujah. The one who is the source of all life himself. Praise the name of Jesus. Now, another thing to notice is that um, only God can, can be worshipped, right? Only God is deserving of worship. So let's see if there were instances in scripture where Jesus was worshipped. We want to know that truly the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Christ bodily. Alright, so let's see Matthew chapter 2 from verse 1 to 2. Matthew chapter 2 from verse 1 to 2. You know the story. It's the story we read every time at Christmas. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Magi, they're a class of elite people, um, usually called wise men. They are, they are the scholars, they are astronomers and the rest. So they work with stars. Um, that's what they do, astronomy, astrology and the likes. So um, they came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Ah, they were so scholarly that they realized that, look, the stars will point to the king of the Jews. It was by that star they followed and found him. He said, we saw his star. We, ha, we saw his star when it rose. And we have come to worship him. He said, where is the one who has been born king? They knew this was a baby. And they came to... I want you to imagine the scene. Like the look on Joseph and Mary's face. Like they are holding a small baby. And they see grown men. In fact, one of the wisest men in their in their time imagine that imagine if you have a couple of the world's biggest people on the forbes list inventors scientists they come to your house and they come to bow down to tunde i am just giving an example they just come down lie down bring gifts they bring checks to like to your house like billion dollars check bring it to you just to wash what it's huge it's a huge thing. They came to worship a baby. But, the, I mean, the beautiful part is that he was not just a baby. Hallelujah. God had taken upon flesh in the lowliest form of humanity to prove that even the poorest and the richest are deserving of his love and his grace. Hallelujah. That's so powerful. Matthew 28, verse 8 to 9. Matthew chapter 28, from verse 8 to 9. Matthew 28, 8 to 9. So the woman hurried away. This was after the resurrection of Jesus. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. They, they were filled, the Bible says they were filled with joy. They ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them, like surprisingly out of the blue, just appeared to them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet. They grabbed hold of his feet. And what? They worshipped him. The Bible says they worshipped him. Ah, and John 20 verse 27 to 28. John 20 verse 27 to 28. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. 
He said, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Uh, Thomas was someone who wanted evidence all the time. It was just in his nature. He wanted to see for himself. Right? And Jesus said, look, you want to believe that this is really me? Come and feel my, my, my hands. Like, if you knew I was nailed, touch this. And, and I have reason to believe that Jesus made it so, um, even though he was in his resurrected body, his glorified body that would never feel pain, that would never be limited by blood, that would never suffer um, sorrow or sickness. I believe he specifically reserved those wounds. Not that they hurt in any way, but he reserved their appearance in his body for to help Thomas Thomas's faith. I want you to realize that there's sometimes that we may doubt God, we may doubt some things about him. But I want you to look at Jesus' response to Thomas. He said, You see, I told you people Thomas, I mean, he was following after Judas. We already we all knew. Come on, get out, get out of this place, you know, things like this. Um, just get, get out of my sight. You know, he didn't do that, right? What we see Jesus says, look, okay, let me help your faith. It's it's struggling right now. It's failing. Just come and touch me. Let me help you. And he touched. He was like, oh, my Lord and my God. And after that, Jesus even said what he what he would prefer, right? What he loves even better. He said, blessed are those who have not seen. Ah, blessed are those who have not seen. Yet they believe. Yet they believe. That's even what counts higher for the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ loves you to put faith in him. Even when you don't see anything happening. Do you understand? But guess what? He helps those even in their doubts. He helps them. When John the Baptist doubted that Jesus was the Messiah. When he was locked up in prison. Jesus affirmed and, and, and helped him. He told the disciples that came to confirm. He said, look, I healed the sick. I, 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 I. And he did specific miracles that were specific to the Messiah, that the Messiah was promised and prophesied to do. He said, look, I, 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 I heal the lepers, I cleanse them, I, I heal uh, blind eyes. Go and tell John what you have seen today. And he did that to help John's faith. Do you, do you see that? So you need to realize that, look, the doubting, of course, should not be the case. But God wants to help your doubts. He wants to help build your convictions. And we are looking at these scriptures to just help emphasize the evidence that Jesus really is God. Praise the name of Jesus. Now, Jesus being, I really wish I had time to talk about the sonship of Jesus. Um, Jesus being the son of God. But um, aside anything, it doesn't mean that God gave birth to a child. Do you understand? Or gave birth to a son. That's not the idea. Um, the Muslims believe that they say it's not consonant with the nature of Allah that he may bear a child with a wife. You understand? I may conceive a child. They, they say Mary, um, the Christians say that Mary is the wife of God. Um, and they're saying, no, 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 it's not possible. We can't have that. But that's not exactly the case. You know, we're not saying God had to have intercourse to bear a son. No. He didn't need that. He's all powerful, so he can have his son without intercourse. The, Jesus being the son, first of all, was just talking about him becoming, coming in the form of man. Do you understand? Coming in the form of man. Sometimes Jesus is called son of man. He's called son of God. Anyone who knew those terms understood that that was what was referring to the Messiah, the chosen one. Do you understand? But he himself is God. Praise the name of Jesus. I really wish I had more time 
uh, to talk about this. I mean, um, let me just read this last one. Um, it says, Second Peter 11, it says, Simon Peter, sorry, Second Peter 1, verse 1. Second Peter 1, verse 1, pardon me. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So you see a lot of places where it says our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So those are term, terms used for Jesus, God and Savior, God and Savior. Praise the name of Jesus. So um, amongst many others, those are a few that can just let us know that Jesus really was the embodiment, the full embodiment of deity of the godhead that's who he was the fullness of the godhead dwelt in him bodily praise the name of jesus hallelujah that's just powerful all right so let's go back to verse 10 we're going to speed up okay all right so this is where we are at this this is this is the 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 highlight of everything he says and you are complete in him yes the fullness of the godhead dwells in jesus but guess what the fullness of Jesus dwells in us. That's why it says Christ in you, the hope of glory. The fullness of Jesus dwells in us. So that's why it says you are complete. The Greek word for complete here is pleru. It means to be full to the brim, to be saturated with him, lacking nothing. That's what it means to be full, complete, lacking nothing, saturated. You are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and powers. Glory to God. He tells you that look, he 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 fills you up. You he 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 he, he fills you to the brim to the point that you are lacking nothing. Even when it comes to principalities and powers, you are complete in him. You have access to the things that he has access to. Do you understand? Praise the name of Jesus. This is so powerful. He's the head. Of all principality and power. Praise the name of Jesus. Now, verse 11. Paul has, has introduced the deity of Jesus. Now he wants to continue to explain this. And in verse from verse 11, he starts to use things that are um, that these people were, were bringing about. Things that are familiar to Jewish culture. Okay, he, he brought the concept of circumcision. He brought the concept of baptism into this. And you see that from verse 11, right? I hope you are following. Alright, just follow with me. We're almost done. It says, In him also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. I'd like to read this again in the NIV version so that it's a bit clearer to you. Alright, I'll just quickly read it. Here he's talking about circumcision and many of you already know, I believe all of us know what circumcision is, right? It's made by hands. If you, just in case you don't know, it's, it's, it's performed by human hands normally for male children. Um, I think after eight days, right? Um, it's, it's, it was what established a covenant between God and Abraham. Uh, in fact, it was a sign to represent that, that, uh, that covenant basically. Um, God had already made the promise before circumcision, but it was just a sign given then. But what we realized is that, look, this, this at the end of the day, um, was something done by human hands, right? Um, it says, but he said, in him, we were circumcised. Now, this is not just talking about male children. This is talking about everybody. 
Yes, as a female, you too were circumcised, but not the kind, not the natural kind of circumcision, not that performed by human hands. He says, your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. I think it's the Passion Translation that says, you have received the circumcision of the heart. That's the idea. So, it's not, not the circumcision performed by human hands, but that by God, God's hands. The kind of circumcision performed by God's own hands. God himself circumcised you. Yes, you, dear believer. He put off the body of, of, of sin. And when, when he talks about the body of sin or the flesh, the body of sin is, is what you talk about, the, the guilt of sin, the, the penalty of sin, the power of sin. He took that away. It was removed. Praise the name of Jesus. It was put off. And, and um, a cross-reference to this is Ezekiel 36, from verse 26 to 27. Let's open it quickly. I hope you're still very excited about the Word of God. This is so powerful. Ah, this is so powerful. This is not complicated at all. I promise you. That's what you need to realize. This is not complicated. To some of you, it might seem a bit deep. Like, what does that mean? That Christ, in Him, I am complete. Like, I am complete in Christ. What does that mean? Just, Just hold on. By the time we are done, you're going to realize this. At the end of the day, Paul wants to explain to them that, see, outside of Christ, you find nothing. Everything you ever need for your salvation, for, for, your, for your understanding of who God is, for your progress, for your, for your assurance, everything, for power and authority over principalities and power, everything is found in Christ. That's what it means to be complete in Him. When it says we are complete in Him, it means everything we will ever need or we've ever needed is in Him. Christ is all. Christ is everything. In Him we find completion. As human beings, we cannot find completion in anything else. We cannot find completion in our husbands, in our boyfriends. We cannot find completion in our wives, in our girlfriends. We cannot find completion in our best friends. Some of us, you know, we have this idea that I need to find my other half. You can't have an other half. That's the point. Your other half is not even up to an, it's not even up to a half. He's, he's, or she is, he or she is, it's not even up to that. It's just a smaller fraction because there is just this, there's just this eternal hole or, or void in, in the human heart that was created to be filled by God alone. Do you understand? You are designed to be completed by God himself. And so when people try to, to find things, trying to get this, get that, to fill that void, it will never work. You know, I, I mean, that's why a lot of people get into the wrong relationships. They're trying to to be with someone that they believe will fill that that void in their heart, that attention that they desire, that those needs they have. But it never works out that way. You can't have. It's not fair to have another human being bear that responsibility of filling that place in your heart. The only person who himself was man. But at the same time, is God and is capable of filling that space is Christ himself. That's why we can only find our completion in him. We can only find our satisfaction in him. He is where all that we ever need is found. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Amen. So if Ezekiel 36, 27, 26 to 27, pardon me. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27 it says a new heart also will i give you and a new spirit will i put within you right 
And I will take away. Look at that. Look at that. This is circumcision here. But not just circumcision of, by natural means. This is, this is different. This is a heart circumcision. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. It says, I will put within, I will put my spirit within you. Pardon me. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So this is the circumcision of the heart we're talking about. Where the body of sin, the stony heart, whatever you want to call it, is taken away from it, cut off. It's taken away. But you see, not just when it comes to Christ, because He completes you, you're not just having things taken away. It's not just sins being taken away. It's not just you know the, the the sinful nature, the body of sin being taken away. There is a replacement. There is an exchange. There is a substitution. Oh, glory to God! This is beautiful. So for that 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 heart of flesh, you're giving a new spirit. Hallelujah! A, a, hallelujah! A new nature. That's what you're giving. Instead of sins that are taken away, you are giving his righteousness. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. That is just precious. Right now, can we just in five seconds, just thank God. Thank you, Lord, because you've replaced the heart of, of stone with, with, with your spirit. You've taken away the body of sin, replaced it with your spirit. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Because in you, I am complete. I find my fullness in you. I find completion in you. Nothing else. No one else. It's in you I am complete. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. All right. Now let's go to verse 12. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Mm. Ah, God is speaking to someone right now. Speaking to someone right now. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Everything that you ever need is in Christ. Everything that you ever need is in Him. Oh, all resources are available in Him. God, God, Divos. Yabutu nabata tetiva sekano urubutina katas. Emendisi aroku tushikat amande venokurotina pas ekete. Ah, that's it. That's it. And the assignments that have been committed into your hands, everything that you need to deliver, everything that you need to establish the will of God, oh, you have all resources, for you find completion in Him. katas. Oh, that void you've longed to fill for so long, the Lord alone can fill it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. No man will you find satisfaction except the man that is Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Hallelujah. All right, verse 12, verse 12, verse 12, verse 12. Oof, Holy Spirit. Let's, 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 let's move. <laughs> okay, having been buried with him. Now, he's talking about baptism, right? He now says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through your faith in the working of God. The, the King James says, faith in the operation of God who raised him from the dead. So he's saying, look, you've been buried with him in baptism. So he uses the idea of circumcision, right? We see that circumcision is not just an ordinary thing. It's, it was foretelling of a time where God will take away what is not needed in us, take away the body of sin away from us. Praise the name of Jesus. And he also uses baptism to say, look, we were buried with him in baptism. 
That means we died with him, we were buried with him, in which also we were what? Raised with him through our faith. That's how it happened. By faith in God's workings, in God's operations, the operation of God, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. That's how it happens, by faith. Who raised Jesus from the dead? So as he raised Jesus from the dead, what happened to you? You were raised from the dead by your faith. (laughs) Glory to God. Verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Hallelujah. That is beautiful. You were dead in your sins, but see, you didn't stay dead. Because the operation of God made it so that you'll be raised to Christ. Raised with Christ, pardon me. You'll be raised to Christ, made alive with Him. He cleansed your sins. Glory to God. He cancelled every charge, every accusation, every recording and account of your sins. He took it away. He stood against it. Even though it stood against us. Even though He con. Those sins condemned us. He condemned those sins. And he has taken them away, nailing it to the cross where Jesus died. Glory to God. He says, and and having, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in the cross. You see, this is the picture of what happens in a war. When you are victorious, just like in the time of David, there were songs, there were chants, they brought in the priest prisoners into the town when when Saul came from battle he also brought the king of the Amalekites into town there was rejoicing they will sound the trumpets sound the alarms praise the warriors for the victory and that is exactly what has happened he disarmed them disarmed them disgraced everything every accusation against you dear believer ah no accusation of the enemy can stand against you. Don't you understand that? Those thoughts that tell you you are sinful, you are dirty, look at you, you are a failure, look at your life, things are not going the way they should, you are a mess. Those things have been destroyed through the death of Jesus and his resurrection. He has disarmed them, says the scriptures. Hallelujah. He made them a public spectacle, embarrass them. Because they have no hold over you. Praise the name of Jesus. He triumphed over them on the cross. (laughs) Glory to God. That is beautiful. Hallelujah. Now let's go. We're, We're closing this. Paul is closing this chapter on a very powerful note now. So he's saying, look, you've been freed from these things. All right. You've been freed from powers, principalities. You are in a new life. Now, as a result of this, he says, therefore, verse 16, therefore, do not let anyone. See, he has let you understand your place in Christ. Do you understand? Your place is in Christ. Your place is not in the law. Your place is not in the world. Your place is not in philosophies of, 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 and traditions of men. Your place is in Christ. It's in Christ. Because that's where your life is. You were dead, but your life... 
came to you in Christ. That's where you are now, in Christ. Where do you find completeness? In Christ. Where do you find doctrine? In Christ. Where do you find God the Father revealed? In Christ. Everything is where? In Christ. And we are, oh glory to God, we are complete in Him. It says, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Or with regard to a religious festival. Now, now, he's trying to, to throw shades at these people who have been propaganda, um, propagating a lot of uh, Jewish traditions. Uh, he said, uh, regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or, or, or a Sabbath day. Then look at what he says. See, look at, <laughs> just like the circumcision that we just talked about, right? He says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. But the reality is found in Christ. <laughs> that was it. He was trying to say, look, at the end of the day, all these practices that these people are trying to get you to keep doing, these rituals, these observances, these religious activities, they were all just pointers to the real thing that Christ was going to do. So just as you had a Passover feast. Jesus has become the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb whose blood covers us from the wrath of God when it passes over. Glory to God. Just as you had a day consecrated to, 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 to celebrate a rest. A rest from your works. We have Jesus. The Bible says he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And because of that, oh, we have found rest from our works. We rest from our works. And we rest in his works. <laughs> Glory to God. And just like they had all these festivals, even the, the, the ceremonial sacrifices where they killed lambs, Jesus is that lamb for us. Hallelujah. These things were a shadow. They were a shadow. Circumcision was a shadow of the reality to come, which is now found in Christ. Verse 18. It says, Do not let anyone... Who delights in false humility and worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Now what he's trying to say here is that some people are trying to come with some sense of false humility. And trying to tell you, no, 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 you can't be saying this about Jesus. And then they try to put your attention on these practices. That you can't just say that. Uh, isn't it arrogant to just say that because of Jesus, you, you, are, you are just fine, you are good, you are righteous. There are some things you need to do. Some things you cannot just reject. And our traditions of old, you can't throw them away. So say, don't listen to those people. Don't listen to them. In fact, what you realize is in, in these early days, there were a group of people from, a um, couple of people who called themselves Christians in Phrygia, uh, maybe Pisidia at, at the time, who actually practiced the worship of angels. It was a tradition that was passed even before um, they were in, taken into exile by the Babylonians, there was a practice where they would literally worship some angels because there were a lot of visitations in those days. And so because of account of this, they, they, anything supernatural was to them was worthy of, of worship. Do you understand? So they would worship. And the same, some of these people are trying to creep in with these notions, um, forming, thinking that they know everything about this. You know, they're coming, you know, when someone comes with such confidence that, they know what they're talking about. You know, there's just that tendency for you to trust them. This person should know what he's saying because they're so confident. They sound like they're so profound. But saying, don't listen to them. They are puffed up 
with idle notions by their own spiritual mind. That's what Paul says. Verse 19, he says, They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So they have lost connection with the head, and Jesus is the head. And they've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body is supported. So at the end of the day, Jesus is the head of the body. He is, you know, where think about it, your entire body system is regulated by your head, uh, more specifically the brain, right? Your heart pumps without you even causing it to pump. Do you understand? You don't say, oh yeah, beats, 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 lungs, take in air, lungs, take out air. There is a regulation that goes, like all your body gets its life from the brain. That's why when they say someone is brain dead, like the person is literally just a vegetable. The body doesn't function anymore. So Jesus is the head. That's why Paul uses this analogy. He's the head. That's where we get life. That's where we get support. That's where we are held together, connected to the head. But he said these people have lost connection there. And then verse 20. Oh, we're almost done. This is beautiful. Ah, what a powerful conclusion. It says, since you died with Christ to the, to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to his rules so uh, specifically here he's not just talking about spiritual forces like demons and all of that it's 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 talking about the um, philosophies that these people are propounding it's talking about the traditions of men the, the rudiments of the world that we saw in verse 8 right philosophies of and and, and human traditions these are the things he's talking about why are you submitting to these things he says, since you died with christ to these forces why are you still acting like you are under them? Why are you submitting to the rules? Do you understand? That's the idea. So, then he now explains. There's a column after rules. So, he shows an example of some of those rules, right? He says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. What are these, what are these rules, right? Um, let me see what the King James says. Let me read from the King James to be clear on the exact words he used. I think he says, do not touch first, if I'm not mistaken. So he says, yes, touch not, taste not, handle not, right? Um, what do these things sound like when you think about them? What are they? Hmm? Touch not. Um, in, in Jewish tradition, there were a lot of commandments of things not to touch. You're not allowed to touch a dead person because in so doing, you are defiling yourself, alright? It says, don't touch such people. It says, taste not. There were certain foods they were not allowed to, to taste. There are certain things they were not supposed to eat and handle not. Um, there were a lot of uh, practices that enforced them to not handle certain things, basically. Um, things they were to stay away from, um, to, to just show they were separate from other um, nations of the world, right? But all these things at the end of the day, they were ordinances, you know. Paul talk, calls them ordinances, calls them rudiments of the world. Do you understand? And what does this sound like? This sounds like commandments, laws. Do you understand? The laws of Moses, basically. So this is how he's telling them, look, you, you are dead with Christ. You're not just dead with Christ, you are dead with Christ from these things. He says, which all are to perish. With use. Because they are after, you know, commandments and doctrines of men. <laughs> and, and this is it. 
Um, this thing started with Moses, but they continued with the people. Uh, some of the people started even taking it up a notch. Don't take meat strangled by blood. Um, don't do this. Don't do that. Um, don't take meat that has been, um, yeah, literally what I said, strangled um, with blood and everything. And some of these practices were just carried on from the time of Moses. And he said, look, these things will perish. He says, verse 23. Mm, listen, verse 23. Um, which things, I want to read verse 23 in the NIV. I love the way the NIV puts it. Um, the NIV uses one of the earliest manuscripts from the Latin Vulgate. And it puts it in such a beautiful way. Um, yeah, for many of you who don't know, the manuscript used to translate the NIV is one of the oldest, actually. Not even King James manuscript. Alright, so this is it. Um, verse 23. It says, Such regulations, these things do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. It says, If I let me read verse 22 to 23. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Like this is, I mean, this do not handle, do not taste. These are practices that they have carried on from the time of Moses. And he's saying these things, like these things that were destined to perish, like they were not meant to last. That was the old covenant. Do you understand? There is a new covenant. Those things were not designed to last. They were just to control the people for a period of time. So look at this, look at verse 23. Such regulations, indeed, they have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. What he's trying to say is that look, they have an outward appearance that they are wise instructions, they are wise counsel, um, with you know self-imposed kind of worship, a sort of false humility, and and just harsh treatment of the body. There are times people were forced to fast just to impress God, things that I said. But see, they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. What it means is, look, at the end of the day, these laws were built to just constrain sinful people, but it never changed these sinful people. It only constrained, it did not transform. Do you understand? It constrained them, it didn't change them. These laws were not built to change. They were used to confine, to constrain, to subdue. Praise the name of Jesus. So Paul is saying, look, these laws that these people are coming in to propagate again, these Jewish philosophies, run away from them, beware. They cannot change anybody. All that you need is found in Jesus Christ. All the victory, all the blessing, all the righteousness is found in Jesus Christ. Nowhere else. And he alone, because he has circumcised you, you know, circumcised you, not with human hands, but he circumcised you, taking out the stony heart and putting in you a heart of flesh, his spirit, putting in you a new nature. You have all you need. Hallelujah. You have every Thing that you need in Christ Jesus. You don't need laws. You don't know. You don't need rules and regulations. You need His Spirit, the regulator, to help you live this life. Because in Him you find completion. Praise the name of Jesus. I want you right now where you are to just turn this to prayer and just say, Lord, it's a declaration. I am complete in You. 
I am complete in you. I find satisfaction in no one else but you. I find all that I need or I will ever need in you, Jesus, because you complete me. Your fullness is in me. Hallelujah. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Praise the Lord. Jesus is the hope of glory. Christ in us. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, declare it. I am complete in you. My righteousness is in you. My place is in you. My location is where you are. I am seated. Hallelujah. Far above principalities and powers. Because that's where you are. You have disarmed all the, all the accusations against me. You have put them to shame on the cross. Thank you, Lord. You are my sufficiency. Thank you, Lord. In you I find completion. Not in any man. I am complete. I am complete. I am complete in Christ. Hallelujah. I find my fullness. I find all that I need in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As I grow in full assurance of this, I live a life of completeness in the name of Jesus. I am perfected only in you. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, glory to God. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I find sonship in Jesus Christ. Christ is all. Christ is everything. Nothing else matters. Christ is all. Not this world. Not the philosophies. Not the pleasures of the world. Nothing matters except Christ. Because only Him satisfies. Oh, with a water. With living water that never runs dry. That overflows. That kind of water. Living water that overflows from our bellies. Oh, in abundance. That is the God we serve. We are complete in Jesus. We are complete in Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! Glory to God. There is no space in my heart for anything else except the Lord Jesus Christ. He feels all in all. He feels all in all. And His fullness is in me. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. I want us to just sing that song one more time. I want us to just sing it. And just let him know that we are sure we are out of the riches of full assurance. We are, we are sure that we are complete in him. Hallelujah. Complete, complete, complete in Him. I am complete in Him. Come on, sing it like you mean. Complete, complete, complete in Him. I am complete in Him. One more time. I am complete. Complete, complete, complete in Him. I am complete in Him. Do you believe it? Complete, ha. complete, complete in Him. I am complete in Him. 
It's not by works of righteousness, but by His grace alone. It's not by works of righteousness, but by His grace alone. It's not by works of righteousness, but by His grace alone. Oh, I am completed. It's not by works. It's not by works of righteousness, but by His grace alone. It's not by works of righteousness, but by His grace alone. It's not by works of righteousness, but by His grace alone. Oh, I am complete in Him. Oh, oh, I am complete in Him. I am, oh, I am complete in Him. Oh, Christ. Is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. Everything, everything I need is in you. <laughs> everything I need. Come on, Christ, sing it. Is enough for me. Christ is enough for me, yeah. And everything I need is in you. Everything I need, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I have decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back, no turning back, no turning back. The world before me, the world behind me, no turning back, <laughs> no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turn back. Now we're saying Christ is enough. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in you. Everything I need is in you. Come on, sing it. Everything I need is in you. Everything I need is in you. Everything I need is in you. Everything I need is in you.
<laughs> Woo! Glory! Everything we need is in Him. Hallelujah. We are complete in Him. Not by works of righteousness. Not by the works of the law. Not by vain philosophies. But by His grace alone. <laughs> we are complete in Him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Bakata tega busama. Rosakata. Berekuta nate besuna. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, because everything we need is in you. I pray for every heart, every weary soul, trying to find satisfaction somewhere, trying to find peace, trying to find solace, trying to find meaning in this world. I pray for every soul, every heart that calls you, Lord, to stand in this truth. That they are complete in you. You are complete in Christ Jesus. He is everything you would ever need. He is enough for you. Hallelujah. Your righteousness is in Him. Every provision of God is found in Christ Jesus. He is the fullness of the Godhead in body. And because of that, He also fills you up. His fullness fills you up. He completes you. Hallelujah. Christ completes you. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Oh, nothing can stand against you. No principality. No accusation. They've all been nailed to the cross. The old, the old man, the past cannot come against you because you live in the fullness of this life. So dear brothers and sisters, friends, Stand in this assurance, in the wealth of the fullness of the assurance of this understanding that you're complete in Christ. He is everything you will ever need. He is your source. He is your life. He is your anchor. He is your hope. He is your light. He is your righteousness. He is your holiness. He is your savior. He is your Lord. He is your Sabbath. He is your Passover lamb. Oh, glory to God. Behold the lamb of God who took away your sins, forgave you forever, washed you with his blood and gave you his spirit. Glory to God. Ah, the spirit of the Lord is here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mend those hearts. Mend those hearts. They're yours, Lord. They're yours, Lord. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name we have prayed. In Jesus' name we have prayed. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I hope you are rejoicing in this. I hope you are rejoicing. Stand firm in this truth. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Alright, thank you all for being a part of Bible study. It was beautiful, wasn't it? Oh, so powerful. Thank you, Jesus. So, um, thank you for being a part of this. Um, stand in this assurance. Stand in this hope. Um, I want to invite anyone, if this is your first time um, streaming for our Bible study, I would like to see you. Um, just put your, your name. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action.
to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.